Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set records. And then, of course, as we always do, we break those records. We do. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And I should say, too, um, we trend set. We set trends. We're trendsetters. Because, look, last week we talked about NFTs. Yes. And everybody's talking about NFTs. Now. Everybody's talking about non-fungible tokens all of a sudden. So, but I mean, we, we, we were talking about it first, Jody. I know. It's, uh, we're non-fungible guys. We're <laughs> all our, uh, our Thingalonians, as uh, Tony would like to yes, say. Yes, the Thingalonians are we're, uh, trendsetters with us, and uh, we're very proud of that fact. All right, we have a great guest today. We're going to get to him in just a couple minutes. But first, let's thank our sponsors. Of course, the show doesn't happen without John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions. And Tony, I'm going to let you roll with all that. Yes, Thingalonians, bum, 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 bum. It's time for Municipal Solutions to sponsor our program. Of course, you can find them at municipalsolutions.ca. Very, very busy shop there. They're doing a lot of stuff about... Uh, Permit expedition. I keep saying that. Expediting. That's what I mean. Yeah, expedite those permits. Expedite those permits. And development approval and planning services for municipalities. If you've got any issues with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, minor variants and land severances, and of course, building permits. That's just a slice of what Municipal Solutions can do for you, contact John Mutton at the gang at municipalsolutions.ca. Polytrack. Yeah, Polytrack with a Q. Chris Moffat Arms and the gang there. Really interesting crew. Uh, I've been touting them around, actually, because uh, I do talk to government relations professionals from time to time. And I know we have them listening to our program. So what Polytrack does is it offers GR Pros as a secure hub to store your advocacy data. This includes stakeholder contact details, engagement reports, key messages. It's advocacy data at your fingertips. And when that happens, you spend less time on compliance less time on reporting, which you have to do. It's legally required, but you can spend more time actually growing your business practice. So visit polytrackwithaq.com. Mention and another thing podcast. When you sign up, you receive their white glove onboarding service free, including tutorial and Q&A for your team. So all you GR pros out there, check out polytrack.com. And I should mention at this point, before we get to our next sponsor, that uh, we have included links in our description. Uh, so when you visit uh, whatever podcast you're listening to now uh, or on uh, on our and another thing podcast.ca or wherever you get it, there will be links to all of these great sponsors. So uh, we're uh, we're getting ahead of the game here. And finally, we've got Think Data Works, uh, Brian Smith and McKenzie and the gang there are great for all of your data needs, data data management needs, uh, because there's a lot of activity in this area too. Uh, they, are, uh, they are there for you to make sure that your data ownership model will outperform your peers, that you have a proper data governance infrastructure, and uh, that uh, you avoid any severe fines for mishandling data, very important in the data world. With Think Data Works, you get uh, all of this uh, trusted data security, leading uh, access control, 
and faster insights and solutions. And especially if you're a government or a business, Think Data Works has up-to-date data for all your public policy and trade needs. You can find them at thinkdataworks.com and on Twitter at thinkdataworks, on Instagram at thinkdatahumans. And as I said, we've we've uh, and I, I encourage our listeners so go to our go to the description and click on Think Data Works just to learn a little bit more about them. Click on uh, Municipal Solutions and also Polytrack. So we're making it easy for you because they're great sponsors to us. And of course, they've been very helpful to this podcast. I should say, Tony, that, you know, our show is roughly about 20, 25 minutes long. We're one of the shorter ones in the podcast space. I think that's what uh, makes us as successful as we are. Nothing against longer podcasts. But my goal with this show is to like have 20 minutes of sponsors so that every week we have to actually actually say, look, we're not going to be able to get to our guests. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we'll have to push that back next week. Yeah, so, join uh, us next cool. week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, we are pumped to welcome uh, this individual, his first appearance on our podcast. Uh, he's a, a friend uh, of mine. I've known him for quite a while uh, in, from the golf space, and uh, he wears many hats. We're going to introduce him today as the president of the Golf Journalists Association of Canada. His name is Rick Young. Rick, welcome to our show. Bravo. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on here. Let's quickly, uh, because we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this, talk a little bit about your background in the world of journalism and golf because you are also the equipment insider for Score Golf Magazine. You've done that for... Years and years and years. How how long have you been doing that? So 20, 22 years with Score Golf, uh, doing equipment and business, and overall in the uh, uh, overall as a golf writer and journalist. I'm now into a thirty eighth year. Boy, where has the time gone? Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it, it's been a hey, it's been a great ride. I, I've uh, I've enjoyed my time. I've been able to to go to places and do things that otherwise I probably would never have been able to. So. Um, it's fun. Once we get over COVID, I hope it can continue. Rick, I'm going to ask you this question before we transition into the main reason why you're here, uh, to chat, but, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I'd just be curious. I think our listeners might be curious out of all the clubs that you've reviewed, played with, whether it's putters, wedges, drivers, equipment, what would you say is your, if, if you can, what was your favorite club in your entire time of doing this? What have you really loved the most? Ping I-2s. Oh, that was easy. Okay. Wow. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Ping I-2s. And tell us why. Tell us why. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the, the, the perimeter weighting aspect of that particular iron, the way it looked when you set it down um, in the uh, in the hitting position, and then, well, the performance, guys. They, it, it was just, it was a top-performing iron. I mean, I mean, Ping I-2s were used you know, right down to, to you know, from from um, PGA Tour players winning championships, right, you know, right on down to, to high handicappers and, and getting the same results, if you, if you will, um, meaning a, a very positive experience uh, from the, uh, you know, from that particular club. You know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of legendary epic clubs uh, that have come along in the, in the span of, of golf history, but... Uh, that is one that uh, that I would submit to you is in my top, easily in my top five from uh, from 
from a gaming standpoint that I that I used. I wish there's others there's others clubs out there, but boy, for me, um, those irons I, I could probably pull those out and use those as readily today as I could back then. Well, there you go. And I just saw Tony writing something down there because I can see him on my video feed. But are you? Did you write that down, Tony? Ping. No, I no. I was. Uh, it just sparked a question that I wanted to ask Rick. At some oh, okay, point. okay. So, Rick, let's uh, let's discuss uh, the main reason you're here. I guess from a, a, an issue uh, approach that is important um, to many in the golf industry, and of course, we're chatting about. Uh, I don't even want to say. I don't know if it is about striking a healthy balance, but the whole issue of municipal courses, municipal our public playing spaces within communities, and of course, the um, increased churning under of some of these facilities and i'll i'll use glen abbey as an example it hasn't happened yet but i think that was one that a lot of people were aware of or are aware of and that uh battle that's been ongoing about you know turning that place into a, a full-on development and getting rid of the course but maybe just uh from your perspective for as as the president of gjack just comment a little bit on on what your concerns are and we'll kind of go to get into the conversation that way. But what are your your thoughts? What are some of the messages that you want to get a, get across to to people that maybe aren't aware of the subject, or politicians that are listening, or people that need to be aware? Well, I, I, you know, I think the biggest the biggest misconception that um, there's a bunch of them in this in this particular subject. But I think one of the biggest mis- misconceptions across the country is the, is the the number of people who are unaware that 84% of Canada's golf courses are actually public access. Um, a lot of people have this, you know, a lot of people have that stereotype of this being a rich man's game and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's just so untrue. I mean, I think if I get my numbers right here, there's, there's 2,298 golf courses in this, pub, in this country. 2,068 of those are public. Wow. some wow. public access to them. Um, and the fact that they don't really have any kind of um, safety net put in place now for for, poli- for, for, for politicians, for city councils uh, to team up with developers to, to take these green spaces and then either you know and utilize them for, for some some other form, um, of repurpose, um, that's disconcerting. And, and some of the, the uptick in what's happened just recently within the last two or three years, especially, whether it's the city of Thunder Bay, the city of Calgary, the city of London, the city of Brantford, um, I could run off a laundry list for both of you um, in, in um, what's been going on in some of these communities um, with, with just so little regard for the recreational asset that that um, that these that these individual communities have in place, and one of the other things that bothers me to no end is the fact that you know in some of these communities they they, they utilize this aspect of, of golf pays for golf, and that's the way they've always done it. Golf is supposed to pay for golf. Well, it, in that world, then you're suggesting that that arenas soccer pitches, baseball diamonds, uh, walking trails, city parks, all those sorts of things, um, they should be paying for themselves as well because there's really no different in the asset that you're talking about here. They're one and the same. They're, they're, in, in fact, 
you can make it a very strong argument for golf being being more of the of a, of a return on investment in a community based on the philanthropic assets that it that, that it can uh, provide. Um, then you've got the the monetary kickback of green fees, push carts, power carts, um, a, a food and beverage. That 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 list goes on as well. So. The fact that, that this country doesn't have a, a uh, one potential association that, that's looking out for public golf is disconcerting. It's disconcerting for me, guys, that I'm the one that's on here talking to you about this matter and not somebody from an organization. And I think that's, that's where this situation is becoming uh, what I would call very, very critical. So, uh, Rick, just to explain to our audience what are they doing in places like Brantford and Thunder Bay? Are they just saying, "Look, uh, we're 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 taking this public space and we're making it into a park," or what's going on? Well, Tony, the one I mean, the city of Thunder Bay. There's here. Let's use this as a perfect example. So, city of Thunder Bay had three municipal golf courses up until 2012. They decided to close one called the Municipal up there. Um, and and uh, have that one developed, leaving uh, two. Okay. And and now, just in the past eighteen months, those have been are being put up for possible development by city council as well. Um, the 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 audacity of that particular situation is is just mind bending. I mean, you're talking about a city of over one hundred thousand people, and you would suddenly have absolutely zero public access golf facilities um, within city limits, and the, the first one outside of city limits is 18 kilometers away. I mean, that, I'm sorry, that absolutely makes no sense and can't be justified on any level. And yet, you have a developer up there who's in the pocket of, of seemingly a couple of or three of the, of the key political types um, that they're on that city council and they are working their way towards that, that common goal. And that to me just is, is just, um, it's ludicrous. Um, and, and, um, and really uh, is just, it's, it's almost impossible. For so me. the thing, the thing that surprises me about this is, uh, I would have thought that the greater threat to golf courses would be from non golfing activists who see a lot of a lot of green space and say that should be available to everybody, not just to golfers. That 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 was what I had in my mind. But what you're talking about is, you know, developers who see space that's uh, that's you know very congenial, and then they want to put a bunch of houses on it. Which to me, like if you're if if you're an advocate of green space. And you're an advocate of nature. That's actually the antithesis of that. It is. Now, what you're describing, Tony, makes a lot of sense because you've got a you have a situation um, where uh, a lot of public access golf facilities are now listening and hearing that messaging, and they're saying, "Okay, so what is it that we can do to, uh, you know, as a as a facility to try to to, to have more users." Um, or make it available to more users. And so um, you're, you're having, for instance, the, the, um, a, a very recent uh, activation was done by the city of Toronto 
um, in, in uh, conjunction with the uh, with the United States Golf Association, and they brought in um, heat sensing uh, technology that indicated the uh, areas of golf. Uh, I think it was Don Valley was the golf club was the first one that was used, and they indicated the um, the areas of that golf course that weren't being used or traveled as much, and they made trails on them. Right. Um, so they're actually utilizing that in a um, in a non-golfer uh, way as as well. And so I think you're seeing the golf industry trying to work with municipalities in that regard. They're trying to make uh, golf facilities 12-month-a-year uh, opportunities. And, um, and a lot of them are doing really well with that. City of Thunder Bay um, is actually doing that now as a uh, as a means to try and keep those two golf courses up there open um, and take for them to stay open with the community up there. So what you're describing makes makes a bunch of sense, and uh, but the golf industry is um, answering to that. So I've got a I've got a follow up to that because uh, you're a golfer, I'm a golfer, Jody Jody's a golfer. You don't have to explain to us the value of golf, especially during the COVID year, and maybe uh, you can touch upon that as well. Because last summer, golfing was a godsend to me uh, from mental health perspective and getting outdoors perspective and so on. But uh, and you talk to a lot of golfers all the time. That's the nature of your of your chosen profession. But when you encounter non-golfers who don't value golf or don't understand golf or, or, or just, you know, oblivious to golf, what do you say to them? How do you, how do you describe golf in a way that they can understand? I think, what, well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that a lot of people have about golf is, is that that goes back, again, circles back to that rich man's game. But beyond that, I mean, this is also a cradle-to-grave game. I mean, you can start this game at three and end at 103 if, if your body is, is so willing. I mean, this is a game that encapsulates um, every level of, of, of individual that wants to, to partake of the game. And, you know, it's just a matter of introduction. I mean, the three of us are golfers, so we, we know about the game, but um, I, I think... With the with the aspects of of, of of golf and what it can be for somebody in terms of um, a healthy lifestyle and and you know you play golf and and you can burn anywhere from fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred and fifty calories you know over an eighteen hole game I mean um, there's a lot of benefits to it there's a lot of benefits to being outside in the fresh air in a social setting. Um, I think it's very, very healthy, and if you can position the game that way to people who don't play it, um, I think you have someone that's at least intrigued to the point of, you know, wanting to try it and see how it works. It's like, hey, it's a hard game. It's it's the hardest game on the planet, but it's also one that that, that can fascinate and delight you um, to, to, to no end, especially once you hit that one shot, that one shot that you looked at, that you saw in your mind, and it comes off and you're hooked. And, and I think that's where, um, I think that's where people can, can derive a lot of pleasure from, um, from golf and, and see its benefits. Rick, I wanted to circle back to something you had said earlier about there not being any entity or organization that, comes to the aid of these 
public access courses. And just just for clarity, and I'll just make something up, a, a community that has a course that's um, on the chopping block, let's put it that way. And typically in a municipal setting, you know, there would be deputations uh, on certain planning issues or issues affecting development where people could come could come and speak to that issue. So you're telling me that in the situations with these public access golf courses or municipally owned courses that there aren't organizations or entities that show up to say, hey, look, we shouldn't be churning this course under or, you know, sacrificing this golf course. Because I think it's safe to say that if you lose a golf course in today's growing urban areas, uh, it's pretty hard to get that space back if you wanted to create a new one. But am I am I right in some of those points? Yeah, once you once once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Right? It's not coming back. Um, you know, your point is very well taken. In the United States, the National Golf Foundation is the uh, is the uh, the watchman over um, over public golf facilities down there. Uh, unfortunately, up here, um, the the uh, the stakeholders of um, of this country, no one is uh, uh, no one has a direct responsibility. To, to public uh, to public golf, um, they'll they will show up at times if they're asked um, to um, you know to uh, uh, support it and and to maybe guide a, uh, a save the golf course committee in, in uh, providing data and analytics about uh, the benefits of golf and, and and that kind of thing. But for the for the most part, um, those. Those, those instances are fewer and far between and usually come down to individuals um, who might be linked to an association uh, or, a, uh, or a governing body uh, to, to speak up on that public golf course's behalf. And in this case, you know, here I am talking to you guys, like I said before. And, and you know, you, you'd like to think that there was, whether it was Golf Canada, the PGA of Canada, uh, the National Golf Course Owners Association. You'd love to think that there'd be one organization that would have the the collective facts of public golf um, uh, on their radar screen. And unfortunately, 84% of the golf courses in this country don't. And and to me, that's problematic. Um, and it's problematic. Uh, I think going down the road here in the future. And what I mean by that is, I just believe that. Coming off of an economic downturn in 2009, leading into a very long recovery, and now into COVID, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure, um, as you both can attest, to city council's budgets and what might or might not be available to happen over the long term. And unfortunately, I see golf courses as as being a very uh, available asset that can be changed into um, into a monetary um, into a monetary resource, and that that frightens me. That scares me to death. You see, this is what I find surprising because I came out of uh, last summer. Uh, you know, before COVID hit, uh, I. I I saw the economics of golf all going in the wrong direction, uh, that uh, a lot of golf uh, course businesses were not surviving because it was getting saturated. There were too many courses. Uh, All of the plans to develop housing around the perimeter of the golf courses, that economic model was uh, under some stress and strain. 
Uh, and then COVID happened. And one of the silver linings for me was that, you know, golf was up 20, 30, 40% in activity uh, because it was something you could do safely outdoors. And so there was almost a renaissance of golf. But uh, it, it doesn't seem to be translating into the public golf world and the pressures that you're, that you're describing. Is that right? That's right. No, that, that's exactly right. And I, and I think that, um, you know, to be, to be frank and, and, and perfectly honest here, I think there's, there's an awful lot of politicians uh, when this sort of, when this sort of uh, situation arises, Unfortunately, I, don't, I see a lot of politicians who aren't willing to, um, to take a look uh, and do some due diligence on, on, on what golf is to their particular community, what uh, golf can be um, as, a, as a philanthropic endeavor. Um, I, I think that there's far too many politicians out there that use the, the rich man's game, golf pays for golf narrative. It's a lazy narrative. Um, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't transcend well at all to those who people to, the, to people like ourselves who know the game and, and are immersed in the game, and and that to me is is a, is a problem. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll look. I'll use the city of London and what recently happened there. I mean, you're talking about a, a community out there, guys that, that have long believed that golf pays for golf. Well, if that's the case, you had one hundred and sixty-three thousand dollars in your capital expenditure. Uh, account for uh, for uh, updates to your golf courses. How is it that you got to six point three million? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. needed. So I mean, I think there's just a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions up out there, even amongst amongst the people who are even running golf in communities. I think there's a, in a lot of cases there's a lot of people that really don't know the game as well as they should, don't know their customer base as well as they should. And I think that that really hurts the, the overall, um, to just the, the, the overall product um, and, and the return on investment that a city uh, or, or a town has in having a public golf facility. And I think, you know, we're, we're, at, this, we're at this stage now with public golf, like I say, where um, you're starting to see this. This is not just an Ontario thing or a Canadian thing. This is all over. I just recently, just even today, uh, situations in Cape Cod, the United Kingdom, Australia, um, South Africa, I've read all of those just today hmm. about public golf facilities. So yeah. I think that there, this is a, this is the, the potential for a crisis is, is here. And I don't see enough people who think that this is um, this is a problem right now. But I think that's going to change, and it's going to change rather dramatically. Rick, uh, we know you're a busy man. We don't want to keep you all day, but we do appreciate your time today. One final thing I wanted to ask before we let you go, just on that idea or premise of an entity, an organization, a foundation, whatever, that could kind of be the gatekeepers or the watch, the watch the people on the wall, uh, to use the term, watching over these public access facilities. Um, if Has there been discussions with some of those organizations, Golf Canada, PGA of Canada, the Golf, Corner, Golf Course Owners Association? And if so, uh, where are things at or why isn't there more movement on that? All of the stakeholders are 
think you you're aware of this, Jody. I'm not sure if Tony is, but I mean they're they're all under the auspices now of, of we are golf in this country. We have the Canadian version, and 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 we're a template uh, up here from the from the U.S. version, and and that's the um, that's the unification of all of those of all those governing bodies together, and and again. I, I think there, there is a piecemeal sort of a thing. They, they will, they will, and do support public golf here and there, but nothing to a to consistent level, and nothing that that has any resources put behind it. Yeah, okay. I think that's the issue. I think that's the problem right now. There's nobody and nothing um, available uh, for for any of us, you know, any state, the golf course committee or whatever to reach out. Um, they have to almost do it by by a personal thing or whatever to, to get the ball rolling on some help. And I just think that somebody in this country needs to take the lead on this. I think golf is that important as, a, as an industry in this country that it should be protected better. Well, Tony, maybe you and I should do like a cross-country tour where we play at all these facilities and promote the uh, importance of these courses. We're doing it for the children, Jody. We'll do it, yeah, we'll do it. For, <laughs> we'll do it for, yeah, it's an idea. We could... Uh, and then we'll threaten anybody that wants to shut them down. So yeah, exactly. That's what we'll do. So, Rick, thanks so much for doing this. We appreciate it. Thanks, Let's Rick. Keep the conversation going, uh, and we wish you all the best uh, this upcoming golf season. And uh, hopefully, maybe uh, we'll get an update and see where things are at in the in the months to come. Happy to do it anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. So there you go, Rick Young, president of the Golf Journalists Association of Canada. Uh, very important issue. Glad to have him on. And Tony, I'm serious. Let's go around, play all these public access courses. Which are great book, courses, by the way. Yeah, I'll book, I'll book the rounds, and then you cover the green fees. Uh, <laughs> what a great plan. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me. And I'll buy, I'll buy lunch or whatever. Oh, you're so kind. You're so yeah. kind. But the one thing I, I didn't mention with Rick is, you know, golf has be- become a diversity sport. You know, Tiger Woods and all that has really spawned. And you look at the LPGA as well. Uh, you know, it's just not a rich white man's sport anymore. And uh, they've got to get that message out. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's so true. And again, I'm still surprised that there is no focused um, entity that comes to the aid yeah. of the school of that when this happens, these situations arise. And like Rick said, it's kind of a piecemeal approach. Like, for example, if there was a, you know, I'll use Golf Canada just because I, I think I believe their head office is in like the Toronto area. So if there was a situation, say in the GTA, hey, yeah, we'll come and speak at a you know, a public meeting or a council meeting. But if there's something down in like uh, Montreal or whatever, they might not make that trip to do that. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. uh, so it, there definitely has to be a, a focused um, approach to this. So we wish them all the best and anything we can do to keep the conversation going. So absolutely. That wraps up another episode. Thanks to all our sponsors, uh, Municipal Solutions, our presenting sponsor. And of course, Tony, I'll let you mention the other two. Yeah, it's uh, municipalsolutions.ca, polytrack with a Q, polytrack.ca or .com, either works. And then thinkdataworks.com. Thank you to all of our sponsors. All right, we will do this again in seven days. We have some exciting guests coming up. Yes. And I'm, I'm you know what, now I'm all jacked up for golf. I know. It's, I, I, talking about it right now, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting like, for the snow to melt here. Oh, my gosh. I got a new driver coming, so I'm pumped. Okay. I'm kind of excited about I'm that. I'm ready.
<laughs> All right, Tony, enjoy the rest of your week. See ya.